Welcome to the Language Lounge. I'm Michelle Ola, and today I have a special episode to share with you. On June 27th, I recorded an interview live stream to Facebook and YouTube at the NFLC Virtual Summit. The NFLC, or National Foreign Language Center, is a unit of the University of Maryland that has been focusing on partnerships with educational institutions and organizations, government agencies, individual scholars, policymakers, pretty much everybody for over three decades. The NFLC Virtual Summit was powered by their language resource center called PEARL. Um, PEARL is the Professionals in Education Advancing Research and Language Learning. The two-day event was packed with live and recorded sessions by amazing world language educators and leaders from all over the country. I highly recommend you check out both the virtual summit and all of the professional learning on the Pearl website. The information for both of these can be found in the show notes. In the live recording, I had talked with Spanish teacher Valerie Rossi on the important topic of differentiation and what that can look like in the world language classroom. It was a wonderful opportunity to be both part of the virtual summit and to talk with such a passionate and knowledgeable educator who is striving to make sure that language learning is accessible to all of her students. And again, thank you for listening. Well, hello. Welcome to a live episode of the Language Lounge. Hi, my name is Michelle Ola, and I am extremely excited to be here today with you all here at NFLC and brought to you by Pearl. And we are just so happy to be part of this amazing event. And so if you have not joined the Language Lounge before, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, what it's going to be like. So I guess technically they call this an interview podcast simply because there is not just me. There's more than one person during the language lounge uh, episodes, but that's about as far as it goes, because it's not really a question and answer session. It's a conversation that I get to have with amazing people like Valerie here that's joining me today. And essentially the way I look at it is as educators, as professionals, we can go and we consume a lot of professional development. We are excited. We go to conferences, we read a book, we listen to a podcast, we, you know, take in something like you're going to do with the recorded sessions here today um, and tomorrow. And then that's awesome. Like all of that stuff comes in, right? And then to me, the beauty happens when you step outside of that conference session and you have a conversation with somebody about that and you process that information together. And sometimes you uh, are challenged and you come across something where you're like, whoa, I didn't quite look at that. I've heard of this a million times and I didn't think about it that way. Uh, other times you're just reaffirmed that, you know, hey, I'm on the right track. I'm, I'm doing okay. Right. And so that's what the language lounge is, is just a conversation. And so today now, uh, uh, Valerie and I are going to have a conversation about differentiation, something we both are very passionate about. I looked at the conference program for AATSP and I was kind of looking through the sessions and I saw Valerie's session. I'm like, Ooh, that would be a really good podcast. I'd love to talk to somebody about that. And then I kind of convinced her to do this before I really, she really knew what she was doing. I think and then, you know, so she's here, whether uh, she anticipated this or not. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about differentiation. We know that it's not like you've never heard of this before, um, but this is a conversation, just what's working, what has uh, Valerie kind of experienced, what have I kind of learned, what are, what are you um, thinking, what are some things that are happening in your classrooms with differentiation? And so we're very excited to start this conversation, and I'm going to start by turning it over to Valerie, and let us, just give us a little bit of information about you your kind of teaching context and your journey of why this is important to you. Why are you presenting on this? Why do you like to talk about differentiation? Sure. So thank you for including me in this program. I am thrilled to be here with Michelle and just chatting about differentiation. To me, it's just two colleagues 
working through and talking about what works best for us over the years. And, you know, can't wait to hear what works for other educators where they're at on their journey. So I have been teaching Spanish since 2002. And I've taught in parochial settings. I taught in public school for 13 years. And I just wrapped up my fifth year at a university laboratory school. So I am at the University of Pittsburgh's Falk Laboratory School and have been in love with teaching Spanish, you know, since before I started. And um, how I got into differentiation is really an not such an interesting story, but I think a way that we get into a lot of things that we later become passionate about. So I was teaching in public ed in a suburban district outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, having a wonderful experience in a very supportive department. And there was a faculty meeting and our administrator said, this was back in 2007, 2008. And our administrator said, hey, the intermediate unit's going to do a two-day training about differentiation. Um, you know, they'll pay for your subs. Anybody that wants to go can go. And I was a younger teacher at the time. And I thought, well, you know, one, I'm out of my grad programs. I could stand to learn a little bit more. And I could probably use a little day away. I could recharge the batteries, chat with adults, and just have a really good two days. So I did not realize um, what I was, you know, entering into the, the journey, one, this small journey that it would take me on. And then, you know, a decade and a half later where I would end up with it. So uh, go to the intermediate unit just with a few colleagues of mine. As a young educator, I did not know that when you sign up for this, you then become the trainer for the district. But I thought, <laughs> You know, this will be this will be fun. So I go with some middle school and high school colleagues, and it was Carolyn Tomlinson's team from the University of Virginia. And I didn't realize what that meant at the time. I just thought I'm hearing some really cool stuff, and I'm with my colleagues, and just like you and I are doing, I'm having really good conversations. So it sparked an interest in me personally, but I also knew I had to go back and convince teachers to like this. Because mm -hmm. as educators, there, there's movements that come through. And something clicked with me that this was just more than a current movement. It was more than just current buzzwords. It, it made sense to me. And it made sense to my colleagues who were with me, who were in other departments. Just so happens that there was another language teacher with me, a French teacher, so we did get to have some of those special moments where we started to make the connections with differentiation in the, in the language classroom. So went back, continued to train middle school and high school colleagues, but it slowly took me down this path of thinking about the way I plan my units and lessons and what it means for kids. I like that. That's awesome. You know, what, one thing you said just right there that I just want to stop because I think uh, we, as teachers, we always observe our students and we react to them and right. react to their special needs. Like that's nothing new, right? We kind right. of differentiate on the spot. Right. Um, but I think the difference with what we're, you know, what the way I think of it is with real differentiation, it's more intentional. It's more pre-planned, right? It's having yes. that those that circumstance set up ahead of time so that you can react still on the spot, Absolutely. but it's definitely a, 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 I like that key that that point that you mentioned about planning, because I really do feel like for real differentiation, it has to be planned. Well, and it, it brings a funny moment to me. So my mom was an educator. She taught for 37 years. She's been retired for 11 now. And I remember when I, you know, was first presented with differentiation, she was still teaching and I was like, mom, did you know about? He's like, of course I did. Right. And, but it was really nice to have that conversation with my mom, who's an elementary school teacher. I was like, why, why are people keeping this hidden from me? But you're right. At the same time, we have to incorporate it in our planning. You know, the, the big buzzwords of interest, which is huge, readiness level, ability, because we know for a fact that all children can be language learners. All children 
can produce a second, third, you know, et cetera, language. It's how to get them to do it. So continue down this path and, you know, left public ed at the lab school. And part of, a, a, I don't want to say a requirement, a loose requirement of being at a university lab school, at least at Pitt, is that we uh, present at conferences. So I was really supported by my administrative team. Um, they knew about my love of differentiation and they said, hey, why don't you apply? So I, I applied to ACFL and I was selected and I've gotten to present. I've really been really fortunate to present, you know, statewide, regionally, nationally, and talk about differentiation. And of course, I have a presentation and I share what I learned. I share what works with for me. But I love that it's a conversation between language teachers. And that's where I am on my journey currently. I, I know what works for my students and I, and I know, you know, where I'm still at, what I'm still learning. I love that. So what do you think like the biggest mind shift sort of change that you've kind of, you know, that, that little thing. Cause I think a lot of times we think of like, I'm going to differentiate this assignment or I'm going to differentiate this assessment. Right. But that's not really what we're talking about. Right. So what, tell me, what are some of the mind shift changes that teachers, you know, word language teachers in specific, you know, might need to change in order to really embrace not just the strategies individually, which we are going to talk about some strategies, um, and those are important, but also just the 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 why, the deeper why behind it. Well, and the strategies are super important because you know when you first want to jump in and you think, okay, I have these activities, I can change these activities, and and why do all the assessments have to be the same? So that's kind of like the baby pool of differentiation. But the big click moment for me is why does everyone have to always be doing the same stuff? Everybody is learning how to speak Spanish and everybody is producing Spanish. Those are the constants. So it's okay if they're doing different work and they're producing different stuff. And as long as it's in the target language, it's all viable and it's all great. And that's where rubric that, you know, this is where ACFO really helped us out with the mm -hmm. proficiency guidelines and having strong rubrics are super helpful because just as we're on our own journeys as educators, students are on their own journeys as language learners. So everybody can be working towards a different goal. Now in your Spanish three class, most students might be working till towards intermediate mid but it doesn't have to mean everyone is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some kids might be bumping up to that high level. Some students might be newer to the program and still at novice high. So it, it puts the kids comfortably on their own path and gone are those days of, oh, what score did my neighbor get? What mm -hmm. score did, it's, it's, it's them and themselves and their work that. and their journeys. And that, that's the shift for me. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of when I was uh, teaching early on, it was about my interests, my readiness, my sort of thing, right? My passions and things like that. And, you know, so every experience that students have, we can talk about like differentiating content, for example. Sure. So whether the content is a standard that just says students will be able to describe and, you know, give preferences, right? Right. Why the teacher would decide or the textbook would decide or the novel would decide who, you know, what that path looked like. Right. And so when you start really embracing that idea that there's multiple paths, um, you know, you can that students can choose and all choices are are valid and and able to lead them at the end destination. I think to me, that was where things really started giving me the freedom to really explore and to, to think differently. Well, and for me also, early on in my career, we, we all give assessments and I continue to give assessments, but I thought I needed to assess a skill. And I, I knew they needed to continue with that knowledge, but I expected everybody's end result to look the same and it can't look the same. And as long as kids are producing language they're, you know, fulfilling a task. We, we put that into our rubric. Did mm -hmm. you fulfill the task? But the tasks are allowed to be different. And I think of, um, we can even get into products later, mm -hmm. 
I love raft assignments where the role audience format task, because there's so many options. So kids are all under a similar theme, but again, they get choice. Are they writing? Are they speaking? Um, what different roles do they get to play? So freeing, it's, it's very freeing for the teacher and freeing for the student when there's choice, mm -hmm. everybody's a bit more content in the classroom. I think so too. I think it's a little scary to make that leap, but once you like jump, you know, you realize right. you're you've got, it's a beautiful ride. You know, it's a parachute yeah. ride going down and you can just see things differently. And, and I think right. you're right. It gives that student both, uh, it can tap into their interest, their motivation. You know, it can also just tap into, I mean, I think about when I taught level two, uh, Spanish two, and talk about varying ranges of, you know, readiness. Let's just start with readiness. Yeah interest and all of the other ones, right. you know, right. it's not fair to, to expect everybody to be here just because they took level one, right? That, that doesn't mean everybody got the same experience and we right. can't deny that person the opportunity to keep improving, you know? Um, and then the strategies, like you mentioned, are how we can get them, you know, well, everybody where they're at and getting there where they want to be. Right. right. And all students should be welcome in the world language classroom. I think gone are the days of only particular groups of students take language mm -hmm. in middle school or even in high school, some students don't take language. We know for a fact that all children can learn another language and produce another language. So differentiation just welcomes more students into our classroom, whether they're students with maybe minor learning needs or some students in perhaps a life skills program, who can still learn to communicate in another language? It just opens our doors for more language learners, which is awesome. I love that. So we've mentioned a couple times about choice, and I think that spans all of the different kind of um, options for differentiation. And we were talking about the potluck or the, I right. guess, I, see, that's my Minnesotan coming out, a potluck. I miss potlucks. Right. Uh, but we, it's I guess, a buffet, a, a right. potluck, a buffet, either way. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about that and how differentiation is like that buffet. Sure. That so it kind of popped in my head that way. So Michelle and I were talking about, we both happen to be parents and, you know, we were talking about how kids, we want our children to eat particular things, but give them choice in other areas. And I said, it really reminds me of being at a buffet with my own child saying, okay, you need to pick a veggie. I don't care if it's a fruit, it's a cucumber, but you got to have a veggie. There's some choice for you. And you need a protein. Is it going to be, I, the word carne is in my head. Is it going to be <laughs> beef? Do you want beans? What protein do you want? And again, limiting it a bit, but still giving choice. And then the rest is your, your oyster, you know, if you want anything else on this buffet. And um, I was telling Michelle that my homeroom loves a potluck lunch. So once a month we do a potluck lunch and I remind them, I said, Hey folks, remember I'm still a parent. So somebody needs to take one for the team and somebody needs to bring in the veggie tray. And so Again, we can ask our kids to do particular styles of tasks, but always give them choice. So I think of a choice board, right? Like maybe kids always want to work with partners. That's great. Interpersonal communication is why kind of we're all here. So maybe they want to do a lot of tasks with where they're talking with a partner. Maybe some students are a little more reserved and not ready. And that's okay if they want to focus on writing, but you might have that task in the middle and that free space that everybody has to cross through that everybody has to do. So picking your task and then putting choice around it. Or if I think going back to a raft assignment, I like to do four options on my raft, two writing, two speaking. Again, producing language, being able to write in another language is very important. Being able to speak in another language is very important. So saying to the students, you have these four options. They're varied, but you got to pick one. So choice is huge. And then that gets buy-in. It, it also depends on the moods of students. We as adults, we're allowed to be in different moods and maybe we come in one day and we're not feeling the lesson plan we wrote. We're allowed to change it. Kids are allowed to be in different moods too. Maybe, you know, we have kids that just hit it out of the park every day. 
but maybe want the task that involves more artwork because it's soothing for them. There's yeah. soul producing language. It's, it's great. I love it. I love it. And that kind of brings us to, you know, so in, and again, we're going to kind of, we're not really doing a, a, a summary PD of what is differentiation, but if you've noticed, we've brought up a lot of those sort of topics and, and sort of things. And, you know, some of the things that you can differentiate by, we've already mentioned. So content process, you know, uh, product, and then, you know, a factor of, you know, environment is, is kind of a newer one. I think that was, that was added. Right. Um, so get, let's, let's talk some examples. So let's sure. take like content, for example. Right. So what are some examples or ways that, that you can, you know, differentiate by content for students? Sure. Allow so them? When I think of content, I think of the input. So what are students getting? So I, I think of, I'm going to give real specific examples that I use, and I hope that other people can, they might use some of these um, books, or they can kind of think about how they fit to them. So um, my students and I, in my eighth grade program, reread the Felipe Lou Fluency Matters book. And um, this year, side note, I happen to love baseball. It's why I chose it. I have come around to the fact that not all students love baseball, um, which I still don't understand. But uh, <laughs> so I this year put in the Minerva book. So again, two, you know, it's it's real people from the Dominican Republic. So I want to explore the Dominican Republic. I want to explore that period of history, the Trujillo period of history. Um, I wanted to be the life stories of real people, but again, putting choice in there. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to, to give that quick example, but with content. So we, we, I use, also utilize a lot of authentic resources. And I think of a New York Times newspaper article that I share with the kids. So I want the kids to read this newspaper article, but some students might want to listen to the newspaper article and some students might want to read it and that's okay i have reading comprehension questions i have a little um socratic seminar about it it's about the campaign in major league baseball that was called ponle acento where they didn't have accents on players jerseys until like five six years ago so interesting i want to have this socratic seminar i want to have this conversation so I need the kids to read this newspaper. Or I need the kids to have the knowledge from this newspaper article. I need them to get this input. They can choose whether they listen or whether they read it or whether they do both. So, you know, as teachers, we're allowed to set the parameters, but then providing choice within those parameters. Yeah. And that's a really good example of that differentiating by process, like how students process that information well, that and, pre and prefer it. Right. So it's both. Right. I mean, it's exactly. got, got it kind of pulls into both of that. It does. I mean, you've got that choice in the content that you're looking at. And, um, and then you've also got like just the preferences of how the people and, and all those, um, of how they process things. And I think you mentioned it before right. too, you know, my son, for an, just as an example, the poor kid, he, if he knew I talked about him and used him as an example this much, but like working in groups is so painful to him. Like he does not, he just does not process that way. Now me, obviously I process verbally right. with other people. That is clear, right? <laughs> but he loves just to watch and take in either books or, or video. Like he just consumes them in mass and let's just learn, 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 learn and remembers. Um, and, and so giving students choice of how they get that information is another very important way, you know, that we can really, you know, give them that choice. Um, and they know, you know, they, they know, know how they, they know how they process best. Well, they know how they process best and they know what they like. And who, who are, you know, we can question, I don't want to say like negatively question, but mm -hmm. notice that this student just prefer, prefers to take in the language and they will produce it. But then you have other kids in class who cannot wait for partner work. Right. And it's both okay. And I think back to that New York Times article I was talking about, also highlighting mm -hmm. some, you know, some kids might want some key words or key points highlighted. 
they might, in order to be able to have the conversation, they might need to think, oh, where are those key words that I can use? So that's another way to differentiate. Some kids might give one listen and be ready to run, or some kids might give one read through and be ready to go. But highlighting is, is a really low prep way I love to that. help kids who might just need that little boost, like give them five words and then they can run. And I think you've got, again, like there's no set like formula. There's no like specific differentiating formula. If I do A and B, then C will happen. Right. So I think these all sort of overlap in many ways. And one of the things um, I was just going to say, and I, oh, I know, Um, like, so for scaffolding even, or preference, like I think about it, like reading an article, like, even if I can read that article, I, my I process things better if there's visuals attached. Me too. So now you attach a visual to something and you're meeting multiple needs. It might be a scaffold for readiness, you know, for those that need that little extra something, but it also may just happen to somebody's, you know, processing, you know, visual Mm -hmm. processing as opposed to just a lot of words on a page. Well, Um, and, and not saying this student needs this and we know in our heads what kids need, but take into account how kids are on the day to day. You know, not being so formulaic, formulaic, but saying every day this child needs this and this child needs that. You know, they might have had a big social studies test or a big math test before language class. So their brains might be a little wonky, but giving them the choice, you know, maybe today they need something highlighted. Maybe today they need the notes along the side, but they might not need it every day. Just going back to knowing that we are allowed to be more like a wave, letting kids be more like a wave, you know? Yeah. And I think it also goes back to, and I I saw a comment, um, you know, and I think a lot of teachers feel this way too. What if we, what if we give them choice mm-hmm. and they always pick the same thing, right? Oh, is that bad? Is there, is there, is there, is there too much reading, too much listening, too much speaking that you can do. So what do you, how do you answer that? And no, we're just talking from our perspective. Right, right? No, I mean, exactly. That's a great question. And I think especially when you're giving more product-based choices. So I keep on going back to rafts in my head, you know, passing out the rubric to start. I always like the kids to know we do need to assess them, how they're going to be assessed. But then also having, it doesn't have to be a formal conference, but going down the room, you know, hey, what are you thinking? I think this option might be great for you because. And so maybe your learners who are always picking the same style of activity, you can say to them, hey, have you thought about this option? This is why I'm thinking it will be great for you. Maybe they choose it. Maybe they don't. But maybe on the next assignment, they do. So, you know, gently helping kids stretch themselves when also when they're ready, because at the end of the day, and I had to fix this in my mind, whatever option they're choosing, they're still producing language. And so they're still showing what they know, understanding can do, but, you know, still giving that gentle nudge saying, I think this would work really well for you because, and more often than not, the kids really do want our opinions. And I, I don't want to create a world of people pleasers, but then knowing that, okay, my teacher has confidence in me. My teacher really knows that I can stretch myself a bit. I I think kids really welcome those, those gentle nudges instead of saying, okay, you four got this one, you four have this one. That's a bit more jarring. Yeah. I, I also think that I, I would ask my, maybe my, myself first, I don't know, I would confirm mm. this unit, but I would also ask That's myself, like, why do we think they're always choosing that? Is it a true preference or yeah. is it fear or not being confident, not having, you know, that having maybe they, not that you have an established a safe place or that safe right. environment, but maybe yeah. they just don't feel it yet because right. of course, some things like speaking, you're a lot more vulnerable than if you're taking in something or if you're, you know, doing something else, you know, so, you know, just thinking about, you know, what that is, but I love that idea though, too, that they are producing and when they need that other skill, we have to just know that they'll be able to translate, you know, transfer well, and, that as well. And try it try to stretch them in low stakes ways. So I happen to have a 50 minute class period. So 
there is a lot of speaking, listening, reading, and writing that goes on. So if you get a kid who just wants to write all the time and is never picking the speaking options, you know, try to incorporate smaller speaking options daily in your lessons so that they they see that they can do it. They get the practice, they get the try. Um, so when that. it comes to maybe the more summative assessments that they feel more comfortable, you know, trying. Yeah, I like that. I mean, because again, I think the goal of offering this choice up is also to empower them to then know there are other options, right? And and to make right. other choices. And I think to some extent, um, realistically, if you see, you know, that if I see my son is always choosing pizza at, from the buffet and never doing anything right. else, I may gently point out that that is right. not a balanced sort of a diet, right. a balanced situation, you know, and giving them, you know, giving them that opportunity, like, well, maybe we should, you know, try something else. At, and like, I love what you said, just like that low stakes, right? right. Like that, right. that there's no harm, just give it a shot, right? And, and if you need to, you can go back to your option that you prefer, you know? And I don't know if it's the way of the world, the way of the nation, my particular school, kids have in their mind that they need to get particular letter grades or particular numbers. And I want them to be more in love with the rubrics and see their proficiency go, you know, their the, the move up the proficiency ladder. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes when they pick the safer option, it's because they know that they can earn a particular number or letter and almost respecting that because they might go home to families who expect particular numbers and letters. So yes, incorporating differentiation into the daily activities. So you think, oh, I have a class of kids that don't like to speak. Now, maybe it's their personality, but when you add in small speaking activities, giving them the confidence to say, oh, hey, I, I'm, I can be good at this too. That will help them pick, you know, the options that they would traditionally not choose in the summative assessments. I love that. So we, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about differentiating content. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we mentioned a little bit, you know, you, you want to talk about the Dominican Republic, you have a choice of this novel or this novel, right? Um, we can, are there any other examples that you can think of that you've kind of um, used in the past or, or any other ideas as far as like, you know, you have a particular standard you're going to meet. What are some different ways that, that students can use that or, or how do you differentiate content specifically? Okay. So thinking about content, again, knowing that, for example, in my eighth grade Spanish, it just so happens that a goal is to be able to narrate in the past tense. So that, that does mean grammatically preterite and imperfect. And I know all kids are on their own journey with those two wild um, tenses. And the books that I select, we do use a lot of fluency matters readers in my class. So one, I do emerge. I, I don't think I have a particular teaching style. I, again, it's the buffet world to me. I kind of take what I think works for me and what works for my students. So I really incorporate differentiation but I also incorporate pace lessons, which um, a, a dear professor um, at the University of Pittsburgh, Dr. Heather Hendry, shares with her students. So basically, the gist of it is, and I'm not going to sound really professional, presenting the students with some sort of whatever grammar skill you want them to learn, presenting it in an authentic way. Is it a newspaper article? Is it a song? I love to use music. And then get, those, get the kids' wheels turning. Do you, can you pick out parts of speech? Do you notice anything different about the parts of speech? And hopefully someone like picks verbs and someone picks endings. Um, and then you have a, you co-construct together and you create a definition together. And then I do like to add in about a 10 minute lecture of, okay, friends, this is what we're doing. But that is a way to me to differentiate content because you can, some kids will intuitively pick up, wait a minute, here's a verb and it has a different ending. Some kids might need the gentle nudge along the way. Okay, let's talk about parts of speech. We all, you know, let's all enjoy the song, but then let's talk about parts of speech. Can we pick out any verbs? And so just you know, some kids might need the nudge where other kids will get it more intuitively. I love that because a lot of times we think of 
you know, so, so pace is a grammar in teaching grammar in context. It's one of the ways to do that. There's other ways to do that inductive approach, but I mean, I love pace model, you know, it's, it's presentation, attention, co-construct and extension. I don't remember. I just Googled it. So I I never remember what they stand for. I mean, I know what it is. And I feel like the the further out I get into my career, I kind (laughs) of take what I think is awesome and then put my own spin on it. Um, That's the best way to do it, right? I encourage all teachers to do that. Absolutely. But I love that, you know, sometimes even that presentation of grammar, yes, there is a research-based way that, you know, we should do it. But I was a, I mean, most Spanish teachers probably were kind of like little linguists that kind of liked that thing. And there's always going to be people, students or learners in the class that might like that. And if that, if they really want to consume it in this particular way, you know, it, you know, maybe that's okay. Right? And this totally, well, I had a student, yeah. so, you know, narration in the past tense. And she said to me, can I have workbook activities to practice? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean I'm going to shove these rote practice activities onto right. everyone, but she made a choice. She's curious about grammar and mm-hmm. that's okay. Again, it, it always, I feel like everything we say kind of loops back to that idea of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and even I was doing a mini research study about homework, about independent practice, and it looped into homework. I feel like in my 19 years, my homework philosophy probably has changed probably 19 times. Right. So this year, thinking about really isolated homework assignments, you know, again, I teach seventh and eighth graders, Spanish two and three, you know, just doing it twice a week. But again, we talked about giving choice within homework because some kids really might enjoy rote workbook. You know, there's no harm in workbook practice, but other kids might want something, might want to design something, might want to um, design an advertisement for homework. So again, getting them to do some independent practice, because I think my classroom is pretty collaborative. So getting the kids to do some independent practice, but again, providing choice in the independent and how they do it. I love it. So content process, I do want to make sure we hit on product as well. So those are the three kind of big ones that you're going to hear. And we want to give some examples of those, you know, how can we differentiate by products? What are some examples? Um, You know, and I think we're, I think, I think world language teachers are maybe a little better at this one. Like, I kind of feel like we, you know, kind of feel comfortable with this one more so than the other two, but I still want to make sure we kind of tap into that. So what are some other, you know, you mentioned raft quite a few times, and that is a great strategy that you can use for many, many things. Right. And, and again, role audience format, task or topic. Um, There we go. And you really, you can, I think about all the different ways I use it. I think um, we read a Fluency Matters book called Noches Misteriosas en Granada. And for example, I want all the students, there's a lead character, the lead protagonist is a, a guy named Kevin who's doing a study abroad in Granada. I want all the kids to take on his persona. But, so they all have to take on Kevin, but the audience is different. It could be, um, you know, he's it, the, so I think to the format, you know, he's giving a TED talk to participants. He's doing a book report for his teachers. He's creating an advertisement for a city abroad program. He's sending an email to his family about his experience. So I want everyone to be Kevin, but maybe some kids want to speak. So they can do a TED talk or they can do a TV announcement. Maybe some kids want to write, they can do an email or a book report, or for our friends who still might be at the word level, entering into the sentence level, they can do a print advertisement. So as teachers, we can decide um, what we want the learning goals to be, what we want the skill goals to be, and then again, create some parameters, but also give some choice. I love that. And so one of the things that, so when we're, when, and again, I want to 
kind of keep going back to our big framework of differentiation as we're kind of going through this. So, so basically, you know, we talk about what you can differentiate. So content process product, right? So those are kind of the big three and then the, how you can do it. And we've talked on interest a little bit, and I think we could probably add a little bit more to that. Um, and learning profile, which again, learning profile, I think is really interesting because it's not like Howard Garner's learning styles anymore. I, I've, I've, I've got a much better understanding of that. How do you look at learner profile and how does that fit in? That's funny you say that because in the past maybe year, two years, I used to think Howard Garner learning profile. Um, and that's changed. And to me, it's just more who they are as people what do they like to do? So you talked about your son who just consumes books. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So just knowing who kids are as people, what are their interests outside of this classroom? Do they love reading? So providing reading, do they love music? So knowing who they are as people and then what kind of tasks do they like to do? Again, will they always be doing the partner, the interpersonal speaking? Will they always be doing the writing? Um, Just knowing it's actually less formal to me and it's a bit more freeing Mm -hmm. because it's just knowing who they are as individuals. Again, knowing who they are as students, knowing their readiness levels, of course, but what do they like? Mm -hmm. You, You know, showing them that language has something to offer for everyone. And I think again, to another product, a living museum is wonderful because mm-hmm. kids are displaying something. Are they making music? Are they creating garb? Or did they create a poster? Are they saying something? So again, that idea of all kids can produce, but giving them a choice in what they produce. I love that. So and, I, and I think the other thing I just recently with learning profile that, cause again, that was one, I, you know, as things have kind of come up, I'm like, okay. eh, you know, it's not right. as easy as, oh, there's eight little categories and everybody fits into one everybody of them all the time. I'm, right. I'm kinesthetic or whatever. Right. right. Um, I think it also has to do with past experiences. Right. Yeah. So I think you're learning, like, like you said, it's who they are as people. And right. that might include, you know, their gender that might include yeah. their cultural background, right. you know, not all cultural backgrounds, uh, you know, a process and like to do things a certain way. Right. We all have right. both individual differences and bigger sort of differences mm-hmm. and that tapping into that respect for the way people are, the way people do things, um, and their strengths. And uh, I think that's another, I'm personally really into the whole strengths thing and, and just how much, when you get into that flow, it's usually because you're working with your strengths, working with those things that you both, you know, are ready to do, interested in doing and kind of go with who you are as a person. Right. And it's okay to celebrate people's strengths. And again, you know, we can, all of us, the students, teachers, we're all on a path and we can continue to learn and continue to say, okay, where, where can I make, I don't know if improve, make some improvements or where can I challenge challenge myself, but also what am I good at? Like, what do I do really well? And let that shine. Exactly. Absolutely. I think um, it just, to me, differentiation is really about that empowering that student. And really as a bigger goal, I I talked in a podcast with Julie Spino a while back and we talked about goals beyond just language learning, right? And this kind of helps me expand. Of course, yes, we're language teachers, but we want our students to come out of any learning experience knowing who they are and, you know, being able to show, you know, what they know and show what they can do in a way that is, you know, respectful and uplifting and empowering for them as well. So um, I think there's lots of opportunities. Well, um, and the kids are always in, in eighth grade, we use a lot of the fluency matters readers. We look at the Dominican Republic, um, the dirty word Argentina, um, the uh, the civil war, the guerra civil in Spain. And they're always shocked for a moment that we do so much with history. And I remind them that actually history and social studies is a huge passion of mine. And so for them, I want them to make the connection between language and all the other content areas. So I love that, you know, just they can love math and love language. They can love history and love language. They can love literature and love language. It's it's the beauty Mm -hmm. of, of being a language teacher. We kind of 
fit with everyone. I love it. All right. We're going to talk on one last hot button, okay. hot button sort of thing. And that is differentiation by readiness. I think that is one where teachers are really like, yeah, but right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they need to know X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's where I personally in, oh, in my journey had the, the biggest totally. struggle. Um, you know, so like one of the things uh, I, I work, I work with Wayside and, and one of our series has tiered assessments mm-hmm. and just that idea that not all teach or all students are getting the same assessment even, you know, that some are going to have more scaffolds and some are going to have less. How do you, how do you talk to teachers about that portion or that idea of differentiating by readiness? Well, and that loops back to, at the end of the day, you have to, if, if you're a teacher and if you're in a, a, a particular school where you have to give common assessments. So you think I have to give a cognitive summative assessment. I need this data and trust me, I've been there. Think about, ask yourself this question, are students producing in the target language? And if you can check off the box, yes, then is that what matters? Yes. So knowing that the kids are showing what, so thinking about a summative assessment, are kids showing what they know, what they understand, and they can do? Yes, yes, yes. It's a great assessment. Not everybody has to take the same one. So you can maybe have different versions of an assessment. If you think, okay, I'm ready to make this entry point. Maybe I'm going to have four different versions of a summative assessment because I still need to, you know, it still needs to be calm and I still need to get some data. So you can start there. But then again, go back to our kids showing what they know, understand and can do. Are they producing language? Yes, yes, yes. You could probably get data, find similarities between everybody's product. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is it something with narration in the past tense? You can think about the skills, the general skills that, that, you know, where students are with their skill level, with their vocabulary level. You can think about sequencing and transition words if you need to get some data. You know, you can think, okay, I, my data is going to be about sequencing and transition words. So as long as students are showing what they know, understand, and can do and producing in the language, it's pretty freeing. I hope that's a good answer. I know. I think so too. And I, okay. It's freeing. And it's also, I think, scary. This is wh- scary because this is where it goes down. A, 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 like any great idea, you start in one place and then it triggers right. all these other, like any big questions. mindset to me, right? All these big questions like, okay, but what does that mean in terms of grading then? Like right. grading is not assessment. Like, so when we're talking about assessment and feedback and that and lead, that's grade. different, and then there's a grade. And so now and that's a whole nother podcast, well, um, you know, now you're heading down and you're asking yourself like, okay, so what does a grade mean? You know, and how do we do it? And how do we make that equitable? And what is equitable? And, and there's all kinds of other questions it asks. Um, well, it, but I, I think this is one of those ideas that kind of can just get in and then start snowballing into a lot of really great things. And it's where I'm at. So, you know, being at a laboratory school, it's, freed me up to know that I don't have to be the expert and I can ask a question. And again, not everyone has an answer to those questions, but that was a question of mine. So, you know, I'm pretty happy with my rubrics. I did make some changes this year to my rubrics, but I think, okay, we're all all on this wonderful proficiency continuum. Oh, wait, I need to assign letter grades. Son of a gun. So I worked with one of, um, the professors at Pitt, uh, Dr. Barto Jacobs, and she did help me figure out how, I don't want to say figure out, but like how to appropriately assign letter grades with proficiency levels. But it brought up more questions just when you think, okay, I figured it out, you get more <laughs> questions. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, we are, this is the the great thing. I hope everybody has enjoyed this conversation as much as I have, Valerie. This has been a lot this of fun. This has really been exciting and wonderful. Uh, just to wrap things up, like, what do you say, like, just mm. give, maybe give a couple of your big tips or strategies, or like you've talked about the raft, like check it out, you know, or pace, you know, like what are, what are some things that as an, a person who's kind of entering into this more strategically planning for differentiation that might be a place that they can kind of start? 
Well, so just as students are different, um, teachers are different. So to me, if you are someone who learns from reading, um, Deborah Blas, I reference her books all the time, Differentiated Instruction, A Guide for World Language Teachers. So if you are someone who really loves reading, check out that book, but also check out wonderful conferences like the summit that you're currently attending. Learn from other teachers. Think about, hey, have you, what works in your classroom? And then give it a try. Teachers, I, we borrow a lot from each other. But also I think of low prep ways. I, I imagine many of us are on summer break right now, but I think about when I present at conferences, I say to teachers, here are some low prep ways. You can go back on mon Monday. You do not have to throw out your lesson plans. What can you do to make some tweaks to your lesson plans? Think about if you're doing full class instruction, thinking about using small groups, thinking about giving kids. So as teachers, we're pretty social people. Giving an option for kids to work alone, varying your writing prompts. So if you have one writing prompt, think about get, making some other options or making the jump from having just writing prompts to having writing and speaking prompts, varying your homework options, highlighting when if you are wanting all kids to read, highlight the text, maybe find some auditory options so you don't have to throw out your lessons and your units. Think about these small prep ways that you can go in and make some small changes. And, and then see, that. like get the data from your kids, see what they think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the great thing to me about differentiation is because you can take little steps, little things to do that, that make an impact like right away. And it's not like, oh, I have to learn this whole huge process of anything. It's just looking at all the entry points that you have and just asking yourself, is there a way that I can, you know, provide more options to meet the students' needs and to meet them where they're at and to excite and motivate them and, you know, get them learning. So, well, I know that as well, I would love for, you know, we were going to put, I think all of our contact information, our Twitter signs and things are going to be, are in the, the chat, but I'm at Michelle Ola or we're at, at Lang Lounge Pod. Valerie, tell us your Twitter handle. Hi, uh, my Twitter handle is La Profe Rossi, L-A-P-R-O-F-E-R-O-S-S-I. Um, please reach out to me on Twitter or um, V-Y Rossi um, on Instagram. I love to learn from other teachers and I'd love to continue this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much to NFLC for sharing and uh, giving us this opportunity to talk with you. And thank you for listening. joining us today in the Language Lounge. If you like what you've heard, please hit that subscribe button to no be notified of new episodes. And we'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. I'd like to hear what you thought about today's episode. You can reach me on Twitter at at Lang Lounge Pod or send me an email at podcast at wayside Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.